So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with the Modern Man season finale. Uh, yes, this is our last episode until the first Tuesday of June. We're going to take May off, uh, but we will be back in June, and that's because you've been supporting the show, telling your friends, buying us beer, making it possible for us to make 30 episodes uh, this year. Hello to Nick in Wales, who has proposed himself an unusual ambassadorship. Uh, he says, Ollie, I've just submitted the 200th review in the iTunes Store UK. Uh, God bless you, sir. iTunes.com slash man. He says, I guess you've already got a ambassador for Wales. I think we have, yeah. Uh, so if I can be bold enough to suggest a ambassadorship, how about making me the ambassador for blind audio game developers, as that's something I do in my spare time when I'm not listening to podcasts? Uh, Nick, it's yours. I don't think anyone else is going to claim that. Keep up the good work. Uh, Catherine in Melbourne, Australia, has also proposed herself an unusual ambassadorship. Uh, she says, I would love to be the ambassador for cranky mums trying to get their toddlers to nap by driving for an hour. I honestly don't know what I'd do without the modern man. It keeps me sane and laughing, and the little ones seem to sleep very well to your voice. Uh, well, I'm glad they have some reaction, Catherine. It probably is best that they're asleep during the foxhole, in any case. Uh, and yes, you can be the ambassador for cranky mums trying to get their toddlers to nap by driving for an hour. I'm pretty sure we haven't got one of those already. Uh, I must apologise in advance, though. I hope you're not going to be alienated by the frankly insulting Australian accent that Ollie Peart employs in today's episode. Uh, if you've never donated to the show um, and you do value the existence of independent podcasts like our one, please do support us. Just visit modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click Beer Money. The idea is the average price of a pint of beer in Britain is £3.47. And if everyone listening to this signed up to buy us just one beer a month, we would be able to put out episodes all year round. We'd be able to be ever more ambitious with our guests, maybe even employ production staff and the rest of it. Uh, and in the meantime, just to keep the show as it is, even the occasional donation from you subsidises this show and makes it possible. So if you are someone who pays for your media elsewhere, if you're someone who buys magazines when you go to the airport, if you've got a Sky subscription at home, if you've got Spotify Premium on your mobile, please be consistent. Uh, help us fund this show as well. Buy us a beer. We really appreciate it. Just visit modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click 
beer money. Thank you. And thanks for all your feedback as well, which is free. Uh, Today's show is actually about correspondence, people writing to people, the benefit of sending letters, particularly to those of us who aren't very well. Uh, Also on today's show, you will learn where in the world you can still buy McPizza, what a dental dam is and why you might need one in a menage a trois, and you'll learn why you could benefit from a tornado passion. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. I guess somewhere in my head there was this thing that said, but cancer is serious. Putting pen to paper to write what's hard to say. The third has arrived. Her coming has been foretold for centuries. And Alex Fox has everything you need to know to arrange a threesome. But first, with all the trends you need to know about this week, it's the man who I've just taken to have his first Michelada. Spicy beer following last week's conversation. Gross. He said, it smells like sick, but tastes better. It's Ollie Pitt. Hi, Ollie. Tell us, what are the big trends we should be thinking about this week? Snapplications. Right. Traditionally, how would you apply for a job? You would uh, write a cover letter... You would, well, uh, I work in the media, so I have to send a like tediously informal letter, be like, hey, I don't suppose you fancy a coffee. And then accidentally, on purpose, bump into them somewhere. Yeah, and go, oh, yeah. it's you. Oh, well, do you mind if... I just hang outside the BBC all the time. <laughs> yeah, but that... ordinary people, they, they write CVs and stuff. They write CVs, mm. they fill out application forms, but that is changing. McDonald's Australia have launched a, a Snapchat lens, uh-huh. and what it does is it allows for people to apply for a job at McDonald's, and it even allows them to put the McDonald's hat on in augmented version and a little badge, so oh. they can, uh, you know. How do you actually apply from take a silly picture of yourself? Okay, so what happens exactly is that you submit this ten-second video, and then. McDonald's still send you an application form. And then on that you write, I'm not a complete moron, please hire me. Right. Uh, and then they uh, presumably hire you because they give anybody a job. I was going to say, I mean, what are they checking for on that 10-second video that you that you live and breathe? They're trying to attract younger people to apply for jobs at McDonald's and they think that Snapchat is the way to uh, to get them to apply. Well, it kind of is, isn't it? I suppose, you know, I, I support it that far in that, you know, if, you, if you're trying to target your advertising for young recruits, then yes, all the social networks that's where you're going to put stuff but i just think you go on snap for fun don't you Mm -hmm. i think the moment it becomes that corporate that you're applying for jobs through it the ute will go somewhere else well i don't know i mean they they still got to work right they still need to they still need money to pay for their uh nike air maxes and their uh galaxy s8s (laughs) so why not make it as easy as putting a a virtual hat on and going hi welcome to mcdonald's how can i take your order oh they're australian aren't they hello welcome to mcdonald's how can i take your order what else have you got for us this week whatever happened to pizza at mcdonald's i'm spotting a theme here there's a new podcast called whatever happened to pizza at mcdonald's Uh right it's by this chap called brian thompson and it literally explores Whatever happened to pizza at McDonald's? Did you know that McDonald's used to sell pizza? Yeah, I remember it fondly. Did, Letchworth Gardens City McDonald's had McPizza. I remember the logo for the pizza was uh, an M on its side. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Cause yeah. I, I, saw I know old, I'm right. I saw an old picture. When was that I did that, all then? my best academic work at the age of 10. Everything I learned then is all I know now. When, when was that? Uh, 1991. 1991. Yeah. Even He's then, Pitt, I had a hunger for the new. It was advertised at me and I bloody went and got it. What did it taste like? Cheesy. And like whatever that sensation is when you eat hot lettuce. 
that but applied to other veg. Yeah, like wet, warm, flaccid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I googled it. There's a uh, McDonald's Wikipedia. What? And uh, there's a, a why? page about why? Yeah, yeah, why? Why have McDonald's created their own wiki site? I'm not sure they've created it themselves. Oh, it's a grassroots. This is a fan page, but it has okay. There's a comprehensive article. Yes, and there's there's a piece on the McDonald's pizza, and a little brief history. It started selling in the 1980s, and it began as a family-sized pizza, right? Mm. Family-sized. You order it, so it's like, you know, bargain bucket, KFC kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they started selling them as a single pizza. Yes, that's what I recall. They did it in 500 locations in 1991, but they uh, they started culling it because it takes 11 minutes to make. And as we all know, 11 right. minutes is too, too long. long. Far too long. So now you can only get it in three places in the whole world. Oh, wow. They still do do it somewhere. Yeah, they do. Pomeroy, Ohio. Weird. Orlando, Florida. Okay, that's less weird because I guess that's a place you go for novelty thrills. And Spencer, West Virginia. Also weird. And the thing that they have to do, right, because it's, you know, it's a franchise. So the shop owners have to prove to McDonald's that it's still worth their while selling that product. They have to fight for it year on year. Right. They say, no, we've sold this many pizzas. We, we still need to keep selling it. Isn't that amazing? So why didn't he just Google the answer? Well, because it's a spoof podcast. It's a spoof of podcasts this guy's sort of masquerading as a investigative journalist and he's in these sort of five to nine minute episodes something like 25 percent of them are ads right adverts for organizations that he has absolutely no connection with whatsoever so the oh, whole I thing's see. a bit okay. of a spoof so if you but if you're into podcasts, so it's a meta joke for podcast fans yeah exactly okay. it's good it's worth well, listen have you listened to s town don't know what you're talking about what's our third trend of the week lab grown meat i'm interested are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd do a whole episode about this. I mean, not with you. I mean, I'd do it properly. Well, there's an institute called the Good Food Institute. They're in, is it Washington? Yeah, DC, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they've been developing stuff that tastes exactly like a burger, but it isn't made of meat at all. Well, actually, they're doing more than that. So what they're mainly doing at the moment, especially, is uh, they're trying to support organisations which are producing alternatives to meat mm-hmm. by lobbying government, and trying to change legislation in in the US, they're trying to get Congress basically to change legislation that now typically benefits traditional meat and food producers. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, look, we can make this, this stuff out of plants, but it tastes like a dead cow. Mm. They're trying to uh, make sure that in the future, we're all going to be eating alternatives to meat, which include plant-based foods meat yeah. replicas thingies that is the technical term for it and uh, lab grown meat are you still a pescatarian or have you gone back to chicken wings since we last spoke no i'm still a pescatarian okay. i had, I had yeah. place last night because as we all know place is uh, not a sentient being so there we that's go. right <laughs> yeah. has has the fact that you've had to report to me every week in this vaguely headmasterly way kept you off the meaty path okay apart from the fish yeah actually giving up meat has been really easy for me right yeah. no problem don't miss it have you had to do a sort of Paul McKenna type nope. mental trick when you see meat and think, oh, that's that's dead animal? No. Nope. I'll tell you what I did do the other day, though, almost but completely by accident. I went into like a, it wasn't an itsu, but it was like a sort of similar themed restaurant. You know, they have the, you know, have like the, the, you know, they have the tubs of like noodle, whatever it is. And I just went, oh, katsu curry. And I went straight for that. And obviously that's got chicken in it. I then realised actually that it's chicken. But I didn't think about it. That's my point, Ollie. Well, with that thrilling anecdote, another series of the Zeitgeist reaches its climax. If you have a suggestion for the next... Ollie will be here, implausibly, for the next series of the Zeitgeist, then what should you do with it? At The Modern Man on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, M-A-N-N. Yep. Or, or 
Well, how long are we off for? We've got about five weeks off. So just don't bother for five weeks. Just leave me alone. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Just encouraging interactivity during that downtime really well there. Just keep quiet. Well, bye. Bye. Hello, my name is Ariele. I'm from Italy. I've been studying brewing eight years ago. I'm now a senior brewer at Brewdog. And these are my Squarespace life hacks to build a microbrewery. Uh, the first tip to start a brewery, I would say, is to learn about brewing before you even think about putting some cash into it. Go to a local brewery, speak with brewers, put some effort in it, study. Even after 10, 20 years you've been brewing, there's always something to learn. Even though home brewing or brewing on a small scale can be easy to be consistent and to make a product without faults, takes a lot of work, diligence and... Uh, and cleaning. Second thing you need is some money. There's a whole range of equipment that you can buy from used, very manual, small equipment for as little as 10, 20,000 pounds to equipment that can cost millions and can be automated. But there's also many different ways to brew beer. There's not one way and you need to know what's going to be best for the beers you want to make. Do you want to brew real ale? Do you want to brew modern keg beer? There's not one right way to do it. And the only way to do it is to get experience in it. The third tip is to make very good beer so you can get a reputation and a name for yourself so that you get a demand for your beer without having to do hard sales, knocking at people's doors to be able to sell what you're brewing. Got a beer in front of me is a collaboration with a well-known brewery. In very little time, they made a very good name for themselves. It's a limited edition, that, and it's a sort of beer that you don't easily find on the market. And it was probably sold before it was even brewed. Here's one more life hack, man fans. Start your own website with Squarespace today and get a two-week free trial. Plus, use the code MAN, that's M-A-N-N, to get 10% off. Now, when was the last time you sent a letter? Not to repeal a parking ticket or submit a direct debit, but actually a heartfelt, personal, handwritten or printed letter to a friend. For me, it was probably about 1994, and I cling on to the fact that with emails, everything's archived, it's instantaneous, and so I tell myself, digital must be better. But I'll be honest, sometimes maintaining a relationship via paper in the post has a particular allure, as it did for Alison Hitchcock. This is her story. So we met on a yoga holiday in India. Do you remember the first moment you saw each other? Well, I remember the first moment that I remember him. Everybody had arrived at various times during the first day. And as on is the way in yoga holidays, we all had to sit around and say why we were there. And I remember I'd gone very specifically because I was thinking that I might want to leave work. And I was thinking that I might set up a Pilates and yoga studio so I said that's why I was there and then we got round to Brian and Brian said that he didn't know why he was there Um, and I remember thinking oh god what a (laughs) wishy-washy and that was my first encounter with him why do you think he was there 
think he'd recently taken voluntary redundancy and I think that he was a bit sort of like, oh shit, now what do I do with my life? What's next? And it's a very special kind of thing, holiday friends. It's usually very intense and it lasts the duration of the time you're Mm. out there. And then typically you get back to Britain and, you know, you might see each other once a year, but the chances are you may never see each other again. Yeah, and I think that was actually quite typical for Brian and I. Of the people who lived in the UK, there was three of us. There was me and Brian and another girl, Sarah. And so we met up maybe a couple of times in London for a drink. And that, that was sort of it really. Uh, I liked Brian. He was fun. But that was, it was that kind of like, oh, I've got to know you really well um, on holiday. But actually now your life's not actually very similar to mine. So I'll meet you occasionally for a drink. And then you heard that Brian wasn't well. Yeah. So we were having one of our occasional meetups in London. We were there having a drink and then he said, oh, I've got something to tell you. I've got cancer. Um, And I actually... I didn't really feel anything. I felt sad for him, for his news, but I didn't really feel any great pang of, oh my God, you know, poor Brian. Because he wasn't a close friend. Um, And he looked fine and he was with us having a drink. So I thought, you're not that ill, are you? And then he said, oh, they're going to tattoo three freckles onto my stomach so they know exactly where to zap the radiotherapy. And I was like, oh, You know, three freckles. That's just not serious cancer, is it? Um, So I was. What was serious cancer in your mind? Serious cancer was, you know, if he'd told me he was going into hospital to have major surgery or that all his hair was about to fall out for chemo, but not three freckles that they were going to zap him through. With my total then ignorance about cancer, I thought, oh, this is very mild cancer, if there is such a thing. And he's going to be through this in a couple of months, I would imagine. I don't remember this, but apparently whilst we were having a drink in the bar, I said to him, oh, Brian, I'll write you letters to cheer you up as you're having your radiotherapy treatment. And I came home and a couple of weeks later, I wrote a letter. Is that something you've done before? Write letters to people? No, no, never. Perhaps it was because you felt you didn't know Brian very well and perhaps because he was a holiday friend and perhaps he he didn't live where you lived. Letters felt like a, a slightly at one removed way of of keeping contact with him in a way that if you'd have said, oh, I'll send you emails every day during your treatment would have felt a bit too intimate. Yeah, that would have felt weird if I'd have said, I'm going to keep emailing you every week to make sure you're okay. And also, I think because maybe what I had learned about him on our holiday was that we had a similar sense of humour. And I said to him, I will send you letters to cheer you up. So I knew that I was going to have to make the letters funny. So even though I didn't think that his cancer was particularly a serious cancer, I guess somewhere in my head, there was this thing that said, but cancer is serious. And so maybe I thought I can do something. So the first one was 18th of July, 2010. The letters always start, dear cosmic. Why? Does that need an explanation? Yeah. (laughs) On the yoga holiday, I'd nicknamed Brian Cosmic because he didn't know why he was on the yoga holiday. And because it was a a very sort of spiritual yoga retreat centre. They had all these different treatments that you could have that were just weird and wonderful. And Brian had some of those and really enjoyed them. And then he'd come out of them going, oh, I don't know where I've been. It's been amazing. And so I nicknamed him Cosmic because he was sort of having all these cosmic experiences. Okay. Dear Cosmic, 
I have thought of you a lot since you told me about your diagnosis. So here I am, writing a letter to cheer you up. All will be written on comedy-headed notepaper. Here's the first. Obviously, I'm starting the comedy level quite low in order to manage your expectations. I don't want to peak too soon. Apologies if I don't write very much in this first letter, but apparently I have a chronic iron deficiency. I blame it on my recent conversion to vegetarianism. I'm told that my iron levels are so low, I wouldn't even make an iron filing. So I'm now up to my eyeballs in spinach and watercress and suggest that you do the same, as you're going to need all the iron you can get for your radiotherapy treatments. It's all about you. They're all about me. They are all about me. It's only recently when I've come to reread them that the references to cancer barely ever. And I thought they weren't all about me because I thought that they were about things that I noticed, but they were all my take on things that I noticed. And so even the excerpts that are about, you know, people that I've seen or, you know, other people, there still is me. It's all me that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. So it was clearly it was some kind of like therapy. For me, that I was. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say it's more of a, a distraction, I suppose, from what he's going through, isn't it? What you're not doing is saying, I'm going to hold your hand and help you mm. directly. You're saying, I'm going to distract you. Yeah, and I think that's very much what they became. They made him be connected with the real world that he was feeling disconnected from, I think. And so you seal it up and you put it in the post. Yes. I mean, it's been a while since I've sent a letter. I don't even know how long it takes a letter to arrive. I'd always send them second class because I'm a bit tight. But that also meant that I didn't know when they arrived, which turned out to be quite important because, as I now know, Brian didn't always open them immediately that they arrived. And Brian never replied. Never? No. Not just to the first one, but never? Never. No. And that was um, that was fine because it was me doing it for Brian. And I n- never wanted Brian to feel under any obligation. But did you secretly want a letter back? No. I knew that Brian's life was pretty much full of cancer. And I didn't particularly want a letter with that in. When you say full of cancer? Well, because Brian got a lot worse. One of the first big decisions he had to make was about whether he was going to have surgery that would mean he would have to have a permanent colostomy bag or whether he was going to have to have surgery that meant he wouldn't need to have that. And I remember him having those conversations with me and that being worse for him than the the actual cancer, that having to make that decision. So it's probably at that point that I realised, actually, this is really serious. You know, Brian's really ill. I was at the hairdressers reading Vanity Fair this week. This was quite a departure from my usual hairdresser magazine of choice, heat, closer, hello, okay, etc. But I didn't mind as it was glossy and made me look stylish. As I flicked through the pages, I came upon an article by the author and journalist Christopher Hitchens titled Topic of Cancer. He wrote very frankly about his illness, which had recently been diagnosed and treated. He talked about how the normal process of denial, rage, depression and eventual bliss of acceptance had passed him by and how he was struck instead with a great sense of waste. He discussed the irony of hearing that his latest book had been a bestseller list on the same day that he was diagnosed 
and that the last flight he'd taken as a healthy person had made him a million miler and entitled him to a lifetime of free upgrades. He asked the cosmos why me and heard it reply why not. And then through all of this he came to the point where he resolved to resist bodily as best he could and seek the most advanced advice he could find to ensure that his lifestyle was healthier than it had ever been to take comfort from the fact that he knew that on his side was a group of brilliant and selfless physicians plus an astonishing number of prayer groups. All of this gave him the strength to know that he would get through it all in one piece, even if that piece would finally be a slightly different shape to before. As I read the article, I started to have some realisation of where your mind has journeyed since you were diagnosed. I have seen you doing all the positive things that Christopher Hitchens finally found his way to, but I had never really contemplated what the darker side has looked like for you. That article gave me a small glimpse and brought tears to my eyes, not just for the writer, but for my dear friend. And that night, for the first time, I said a prayer for you, Brian. A prayer asked not that you be spared the sad and dark stuff, because even you can't get off the cloud and sun cycle but that you should be always able to find the strength to deal with the happy and the sad, and that I too, like you, should also find such resolve when needed. When you wrote that, what did you think the effect would be on Brian when he read it? I guess I hoped that he would think that if somebody else was seeing him being so strong, that he would perhaps have more of a sense of his own strength and also hopefully that he'd be a little bit proud of himself um, for going through what he was going through and and kind of seeing the positives in it. And we know that, you know, being positive can genuinely help people on the road to recovery through illnesses Mm -hmm. like that. So did you feel that your responsibility had shifted a bit from just cheering him up, which is still a worthwhile thing to do, to actually almost being part of his medical program here? Well, I think I felt that it wasn't just my part to be the joker, but it was my part to reflect back to him a little bit, for the letters to reflect back sometimes, just to say, you know, Brian, you're brilliant. You're doing amazingly well. How many did you send him? Um, Over the whole period, he had about 100. So that represents 200 hours of you sitting down on your sofa Mm, and writing. Yeah, I mean, he had part of his bowel removed, he had part of his liver removed and part of his lungs removed to remove the tumours, so... Did you think he might die? No, but he never told me and most people that he was stage four. So I never knew he'd gone to stage four. And if I'd have researched it, I would have known that if your cancer moves from your bowel to your lung to your liver, that's stage four. But I never Googled it. I never wanted to know. And no, I never thought that he would die. I imagine had you thought that he would have died, though, your feelings would have been very different. My letters to... would have been so different, I think. if I, I think I'd have been a right gloomy writer. If I'd have thought that he was going to die, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know what my letters are. I don't know if I could have continued to write the letters if I'd have thought that. I think I'd have thought, Jesus, can I be this flippant? Read us an extract from one of the more memorable letters you remember receiving. So this is the 28th of November, 2010. 
and um, Alison is writing me a letter which is a bit different this time because it's a bit of a quiz so she starts off quite innocently by saying you know favorite place up a mountain by the sea in a city in a wood she answered by the sea when did you first fall in love when I was 21 with an American and against everyone's better judgment I married him we divorced a year later which is quite funny I thought I didn't know that about her. <laughs> Favourite country, India. Well, that's because that's where we met, you see. Greatest pleasure laughing with friends. How would you describe the friend who's reading this? Which is me. Very special. So that was quite good. That was quite early on in our relationship. Do you remember where you were when you read this? Well, it says happy convalescing and it's November. So I was probably in hospital. So I wanted to be connected with the outside world because when you have cancer and you're going through treatment... You are in a bubble, and that bubble is you're going for treatment or you're being sick or you're dreading going to the next one, and your world shrinks because everybody else goes, gets up and goes to work and they get on with their life and they go down the pub after work and they go to... The, and you don't. You know, you sit at home and you might pop out for a cup of tea because you can't drink when you're having your chemo or radiotherapy. And so your life shrinks a bit. And I wasn't confident about going out because I had a new playmate. I had a designer clutch bag, otherwise known as an ileostomy bag. So that made me, I didn't really feel that confident about going out. Because it could be quite erratic, it would fart in um, unusual places, you know, and you'd have to try and disguise it. So I had an insight into what Alison's life was like. And, we, you know, we're all a bit nosy, aren't we, really? So, you know, having an insight into that that someone's volunteering to you is really good. But it wasn't just escapism, was it? Because you became better friends through the process. Yeah, I did get to know her a lot more because I think because of the nature of letter writing, there is something around the relationship between your mind and the paper through the pen that you don't get when you type on a keyboard. And she shared a lot of her thoughts, aspirations, disappointments. And so I really got to know her. As someone who's been through this, what is the worst thing that people say to people with cancer? I think the worst thing is when they say, oh, I've got a friend who's got cancer. <laughs> yeah. And he died. And they yeah. died, yeah, probably. Always, yeah, yeah. Or... Oh, they they had a terrible time with terrible surgeon. They had a terrible time with chemotherapy, and um, they were sick all the time. Thank you. I'm starting chemotherapy next week. Yeah, psychological theft. My mum calls that. (laughs) Whereas Alison's letters were very thought through, but mostly about distracting you from cancer. And that's what I needed. None of them were sympathetic or empathetic, apart from a few lines, probably. And is that what you wanted? Yeah. You want you didn't want sympathy. I didn't want sympathy. I didn't never wanted sympathy of anyone. I didn't want that crick in the neck that people give you when they look at you either, you know, with that sorry look on their face. And what is your medical prognosis now? I've been clear for four years. My five year anniversary will be in September. Congratulations. Thank you. And in that time, you've decided to launch a project with Alison around letter writing. We have. It's called From Me to You, and it's to encourage and inspire people to write letters, loosely based on our story. And do you now write letters? 
I do write letters, but have not you ever to written Alison. one to Alison? No, no, I do send her a post. No, I tell a lie. I wrote a one when I last went on holiday. What was it like, Alison? It was all right. All right for a first effort. <laughs> it was all right for a first letter. <laughs> when you do these workshops, what is it you really want to fire people up about? I want them to write to people who have cancer because I think it's a connection when you're feeling really isolated from the outside world to people in your life or even people who aren't in your life but take the time to write to you because so few people who don't have cancer realize how lonely people are who've got cancer and the socialized isolation that cancer brings so the workshops are there to make people more aware and also make them realize how easy it is to make a difference to either to somebody they know to a friend or a family member or even writing to somebody they don't know that something that is as easily accessible as a letter everybody can write a letter or a postcard can make such a huge difference to somebody who is suffering Alison Hitchcock and Brian Greenlee find out more about their from me to you project at from me to you letters.co.uk Alex Fox is up next after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lucky that my breasts are small and humble so you don't confuse them with mountains. Yes, it's time to talk about sex. It's the foxhole with Alex Fox. Was that a direct reference to my breasts, which, to be honest, aren't, they're not like mountains. They're more like potholes. They're practically concave. What have you been up to of late? Oh, I have been learning. Now, this is going to be a very Ollie P-style intro for me. You've heard of FOMO. Fear of missing out. Yes. Yeah. You've heard of YOLO. You only live once. Have you heard of DEMO? Dare erotic me out. Not quite. No. It means delete every moment online. Uh, oh. It's apparently something that uh, um, the majority of under 34s are doing with their social media accounts following a breakup. Oh. Um, I've been working with Channel 5. You've got, they've got this, have you seen this new show they're doing? It's called One Night with My Ex. I haven't. The premise is that people who haven't seen their ex-partner since they split up mm. get to spend 24 hours with them in an apartment and no one else is there, but there are hidden cameras to uh, record their conversations and their interactions. Uh-huh. So they either get to argue about the stuff that pissed them off or finally tell someone how they feel or yeah. maybe share what they've learned since the split and say what they would have done differently. One guy actually pops the question wow. uh, off the back of the show. Yeah. They did this massive survey of thousands of people to work out their behaviours nowadays in modern times following a breakup. I see. And the, the big thing they found out was this new trend called, that they've called demo where people are really influenced by their social media. Their behaviour changes online after they've had a breakup. The way that people go about finishing a relationship now 
is massively altered by the presence of things like Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter and Snapchat, all of those. I found it utterly fascinating. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because I guess, you know, when you've got photo albums shared on Facebook, for example, that is a public act, isn't it? Albeit within a limited sphere of people that you've identified as people you want to share it with. But it's a public act in a way that having your old wedding album after your divorce, keeping that, you know, hard copy photo album in your attic wasn't. That was a yeah. private act. And I worry sometimes that people sort of almost go too far in eradicating their social media past because in the old days they didn't go around deleting their love letters and their photo albums. No, you they put just them wouldn't in show a shoebox, yeah. yeah, and you wrap them up so that in the future, when the, it's not so raw and painful, yes. you might cherish those I things mean, it and happened. see them in a different light. It was light. your life, yeah. yeah. But no, this demo thing, excuse me, I said the majority earlier, it's actually a quarter, but still a big old wadge of people. Yeah. Are just that scientific exercise- term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big old a watch. watch. Yeah. <laughs> at least a quarter of our listeners will want to go and buy themselves some excellent condoms at mycondom.com. And if they do, Alex, what will they find there? Uh, well, there's a new style of condom there called the Tornado Passion, which admittedly <laughs> sounds like a questionable cocktail in Magaluf or, you know, one of those oversized Sundays for four people that yes. you get in Angus Steakhouse or something. Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a ribbed condom, but rather than the ribs going being individual horizontal circles going down the length of the shaft of the condom. Yes, she is um, miming listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> the ribs on the Tornado Passion uh, travel round in a spiral like a tornado hence the name I see, so they yeah. give a slightly different sensation okay, and I think yeah. it's only 36 pence so wow. you may as well give it, give well it a whirl yeah. Yeah. here's a question it's from Andrew in Australia who says my girlfriend and I have been talking about having a threesome she's bi-curious and I certainly have no objection to adding another lady to our lovemaking However, I do have a few questions and concerns. Uh, First, what is the best way to acquire a third person? Uh, Whilst I do have a friend or two who would probably be willing to join in. Is it a good idea to be mixing friendship with sex? And if not, how else could we find a third person? And secondly, I want my girlfriend to have a fun and safe sexual experience once we find a third person. So is there any advice Alex can give us on how to have safe lesbian sex? Should we just deal with that bit quickly first? Because I don't imagine that's really any different to safe straight sex, is oh, it? Oh, it's very, it is really quite different. Is it? I'm really glad that Andrew's brought this up uh, because it's a topic that is just not addressed enough. Okay. In fact, there were some recently some findings, uh, statements made by the National Lesbian, Gay, Bi and Trans Partnership addressing the fact that many, many women who have sex with women are being told by doctors that they don't need to have cervical smears uh-huh. because they're not having penetrative sex with men. Uh-huh. That is completely wrong. They absolutely are still at risk of cervical cancer. Okay, but that's almost, you know, before or afterwards, isn't it? During. Uh, is there anything you have to think about? Any sexual practice that involves fluids coming in contact with fluids mm. or skin coming in contact with fluids can be a transmitter of sexually transmitted infections if you're having sex there is often a chance you you may be exposed to bacteria and viruses if you're talking oral sex and there are certain stis that you can get from oral sex you can get gonorrhea you can get uh, genital herpes you can get syphilis um (laughs) you're making this threesome sound very appetizing to andrew i'm sure (laughs) well i well i will preface all of this by saying any sexual act is a calculated risk yes. between adults. Sure. So make your decisions after you've assessed the situation. You know, if if we'll we'll talk about who Andrew and his partner might mm. be having a threesome with in a moment. 
moment. But if it's someone where they've all gone and had tests and they know that they know their STI status, for example, then his partner might make different decisions mm-hmm. about the extent to which she needs to protect herself. Yeah, but how, how do you protect yourself for oral sex? With, how can, does one it, woman protect herself for oral sex with another? You can use what's called a dental dam, which no. is, yeah. Uh, they were originally used in dentistry, hence the, oh. the name of them, but they're a square of latex or latex-free similar substance, about 15 centimetres by 15, and you place them over the genitals. No, and I've then never heard or them. seen that. Yeah, you can get flavoured ones or you can get flavourless. Uh, you can get them on the NHS, but if you can't find them near you, then you can just cut a condom up the middle and use that. Or no. sometimes people use cling film as well. Yeah. Wow, I thought that was just the aside. Let's deal with the bulk <laughs> of this question. How does he find someone to have a threesome with? Okay, so they're hoping here that three is going to be the magic number and not the tragic blunder. Mm. Uh, in that case, I don't think friends are the way to go here. Agreed. Uh, I mean, just the way that Andrew's phrased this, saying, hey, I might have one or two friends who would probably be might up for it. a friendship I'd want to fuck up forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are some pros, I guess, you know, to I mean, involving Think about the friends friend. that owe you, you know, 50 quid. And that's always lingering in the back of your head every time you see them. There might be something else lingering <laughs> in the back of somewhere else after after this uh, this encounter. There are some pros, I guess. Um, if it's a friend that you, uh, Andrew and his partner, definitely fancy and definitely fancies them, then it could potentially be nicely relaxed because you already know that person. You know they're not going to be absolutely batshit crazy in the sack, although bear in mind that sometimes the way people are on the streets is not how they are between the sheets. Uh, and also, if you're having sex at your house you know that person is safe to have in your home. Uh, you might feel more chilled out about having them stay the night, for example, and having breakfast the day after or whatever. So so maybe with some people, there's a special friend that they can involve and it is a legitimate idea. Someone you but could for, say, bring your own egg cups. They might get very confused as to what they're <laughs> going to use them for. Uh, but the flip side of that is if it turns out that this threesome doesn't go well or it's just not someone's cup for whatever reason, then that friendship is likely to be altered in a way that it's never going to come back from Mm. so let's have a think about the other things that are out there one thing that they might want to explore is going to a sex club or a swingers club or a sauna like rio's that i infamously visited it burned down yeah yeah it's been it's been built back up again now it's risen like a phoenix from the ashes the fact that they are looking for a single girl Mm. makes their life tricky. Mm. In fact, single girls on the swinging and threesome scene are referred to as unicorns because they are, they're they like mythical creatures. They're very, very rare. They're very dazzling and, and, and very desirable. single bisexual girls as well. Yeah, true. You know, probably. You, I mean, in a threesome, you want the person that you're inviting in to be into both of you, ideally, don't you? Well, Andrew doesn't make it clear whether he's, uh, he'd just like to watch here or, or mm. ha- the extent to which he wants to be involved. The fact that he's focused on lesbian sex or girl-on-girl mm. sex uh, as opposed to asking about, you know, uh, what positions can we use or, or how can I get involved? Because threesomes can actually be technically quite difficult to, to pull together and indeed come together. It's, yes. it's one, adding an extra person to the mix. But yeah, if they go to a sex club they're more likely to find another woman who wants to be involved, although they might want to open their minds there and consider perhaps a couple. Even if the guy doesn't get involved, presuming it's a heterosexual or bisexual couple, would they be happy with another guy watching? Indeed, would they be happy with an audience? That's something they will need to consider before they go to a sex club. There are places, of course, where you can scurry away into a bedroom or a hidey hole or whatnot, so it doesn't have to be mega public, but it's something to bear in mind. Plus, they can leave at any point. If they enter that environment, decide, actually... 
uh, the reality is very different to our fantasies and this is all feeling a bit whack whack oops and I'm not liking it they can leave mm. they don't need to worry about asking someone to leave their home or leave their hotel mm. so it's a, it's a situation that for beginners like them it's easy to extricate yourself from it if you're not having a good time so so that's that's maybe something that could be a very logical solution for them uh, other way to find somebody is to use an app or a, an online dating website and uh, there are quite a few that are specifically to find uh, people to engage in three oh let's now. let's let's do a public service and tell people what those are then well, because that is incredible that called, isn't it the internet yeah, does have yeah. an app for everything there was one that was called thrinder as in the, the number three and then yeah. and, well so did tinder and tinder yes. sued the shit out of okay. them so they are now called field f e l d as in play the field uh-huh. uh there's another one uh, like called uh, bbc if i Remember that? <laughs> what was BBC about? It was like Spotify playlist for BBC stations, but then they had to change it to Britify. They're, it's very good. They're all. If you want to listen to every song Joe Wiley's played this week, there's another one called Triple, which has three P's. That's which okay. makes sense. That's clever. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Good title and clever graphic design. Okay. That's true. Um, uh, Whipler as well. That's a more of a kinky app, uh, but it's designed to find people who who are open minded about their sexual play. Yeah. And there's another one very directly called Fuck.com. <laughs> Wow, that is, yeah. yeah. And I guess with that, briefly, the thing to be aware of is that you're not getting an escort, unless that's what you want. Well, that was going to be another suggestion. Obviously, when you're using those apps, do be aware of personal safety. Don't give away too many details about yourself before you're sure that you like somebody. Consider hiring a hotel rather than having somebody in your home if you haven't met them before. Maybe meet in a public space. Decide whether you both fancy them. Chat about boundaries before the actual night itself. Um, But if you want an experience of a threesome that is pretty much as predictable and easy to plan as possible maybe consider hiring a sex worker this means that Andrew and his partner can choose a woman that they both find really desirable. It's not someone who's going to have an emotional freak out partway through or make their life difficult in any way. And if, again, if they decide they're not enjoying themselves, not a problem. They can still pay this person and quit the experience at any moment without any repercussions. Uh, you'll want to try and obviously find your sex worker in an ethical manner. So, because um, obviously some people work in sex work out of choice. It's They feel it's an empowered and empowering decision for them other people very sadly as we know there's some problems with trafficking and things like that so you want to make sure that your sex worker is a happy and healthy and and 100 on board sex worker but that might be a solution here mm. i guess their final option is simply to go to a bar or a club together and see if they can pick somebody up who might be up for a random adventure it is possible whatever andrew and his partner choose to do though i would very much emphasize do this together make sure that you're both equally enthusiastic about the idea of it about the person you you opt for make sure that the person obviously your your third have you heard of that by the way people in threes the, the third person third. is just called no. the third no. rather than just the third person yeah, yeah. So it sounds a bit um, sci-fi doesn't it the third has arrived her coming has been foretold for centuries and now she is here <laughs> to make all of our sexual dreams come true from the future make sure that the third is happy obviously but it would be important for andrew and his partner to sit down and talk about what they're into what they're not how they want this to go well in advance of it actually happening and andrew however it goes will you let us know uh, there's a feedback form on our website modernman.co.uk 
and indeed everyone who submitted a question of sex for this series of The Fox Hole. We always like to hear how your advice was acted upon, don't we, Alex? Absolutely. Tell us how it all went down, so to speak. <laughs> Hopefully on its knees and with enthusiasm. Uh, if you have a question of sex, then that's how you submit it as well, through the feedback page. And thank you so much to MyCondom.com for sponsoring this whole series of The Foxhole. Uh, genuinely, listeners, this isn't just like terminology we use sponsoring. The reason that we've been able to do this is they paid for this section. So thank you so much. And Alex, what do they have to do? Just use the code FOXHOLE at checkout for 15% off. And with that, this season of The Modern Man has come to an end. Or a climax, I should say. Uh, we will be back in June if you want something to fill your ears with in the meantime may I humbly suggest the Week Unwrapped podcast it's a current affairs show that comes out every week hosted by me produced by producer Matt and it's me talking to three clever people from the Week magazine each week tackling three stories that haven't been making headlines but have got significant repercussions for the way we live our lives you can check that out at theweekunwrapped.com or just search for The Week Unwrapped on your podcatcher of choice Otherwise, refresh your pod feeds on the first Tuesday in June for season five of The Modern Man. Our theme is courtesy of British art rock band Django Django and their label Because Music. And we finish, as ever, with our record of the week. This is called Talk To Her. It's by Toronto Outfit Sam Kofi and The Iron Lungs. They've got a new album out in July. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you in June. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.